there's such shame and embarrassment around these unspeakable complications because the assumption is that everyone else has it perfect. You know, it's like everyone else's basic vagina is, <laughs> you know, but that's not real. And then, yeah, there's that light at the end of the tunnel. And then when all of a sudden that shame turns into a really powerful voice. and welcome to the Her Voice podcast. I'm Kamel Caruso, your host and Chief Revenue Officer of HerMD. We're a female forward wellness center committed to empowering women through comprehensive health, beauty, and wellness services. Today, we're talking about painful sex, a condition millions of women suffer from, yet so many feel alone and think they just need to find a way to cope with it. I'm joined today by Emily Sauer, founder and CEO of Onut, and Dr. Somi Javade, founder and CEO of HerMD, to talk about Emily's story. Painful Sex, the Creation of Onut, and Changing the Narrative in Women's Sexual Healthcare. Welcome, Emily and Somi. Yay! Thank you, thank you. Hello. So i was been really excited for this one because I wanted to meet you because I love your product and it's helped so many of my patients, so I can't wait to hear some of my stories and what we do in our office. So. Yeah. so Emily, tell us your story. You suffered from painful sex for, for years. How did you cope? And you know, were you able to seek help and treatment? Yeah, it's funny. And I generally don't use the word suffer because mm-hmm. I don't want to be considered a sufferer. And I'm, you know, I, I never was really a complainer. I was always, I had like a really tough mom and it was like a tough love kind of relationship. And she, and it was always like the, the deal with it kind of mentality. She's like, are you sure you're sick today? You should go to school anyways, like that kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. And so when sex was painful for me from the very, very beginning, I just figured that was how it was going to be forever. That mm-hmm. sex was supposed to be painful. And, and it was only during certain positions and certain times. And, you know, if I, if I just kind of dodged it, I would, I would feel that physical pain, but really, you know, work around that. That being said, the, the one time of year that I did bring it up was when I went to my GYNs, uh, multiple GYNs over multiple years, and they were kind of just like, you know, just like, that's no big deal. Just use lube. See you later. Kind of just brushed it out the door. And so I honestly didn't think that I had a problem even worth solving because they didn't think that it was a problem to begin with. So I was like, okay, this is, this is on me. And I I think so many providers have um, quieted women or dismissed Mm -hmm. them. Yeah. And so once they're dismissed, you know, or shamed, they're less likely to come forward. I mean, I remember when I was a resident and I was, you know, you rotate under multiple doctors to learn their style, to learn about, you know, their expertise. And a woman, it was the end of her annual appointment and she finally got the courage and she said, I have no sex drive. You know, is there anything, can you help me? And he already had his hand on the door and he looked at her and he said, I'm sorry, I can't even get my wife interested. How, how am I supposed to get you interested? And the look on her face, and I don't know where that woman went, because obviously I was a student at the time, but do you think that that woman will ever speak up again? Like she's naked, like with a sheet on, talking to this man who's got his hand on the door, and that's what he said to her. I was like mortified, and I just looked at her, and she like, like turned red, and I was like, I would never do that to another human being. And that's an OBGYN. And so, you know, when we talk about barriers, that's the problem. We have to know this much of the body, literally. (laughs) And we don't talk about 
sexual health. It's it's crazy. Yeah. It's like it's like where where a baby comes out is a totally different place than where a penis goes in. Right. It is. It is so. I love that. It is so separated. It's like yeah. we talk about reproduction, anatomy, pregnancy, but not about pleasure or orgasm or arousal or any of that. All of my training, and I went to a major residency program and, yeah. and major medical school. It all came later, like through preceptorships and through my own training and through other organizations that I'm a part of. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, yeah so. it's disappointing. Uh, in one particular study in the U.S., I think of around 1,200 OBGYNs, they self-reported being disapproving of their patients' sexual habits. Mm-hmm. A quarter, they admitted. To, like, that's horrible. This is our first line of defense. Yeah. No, there are doctors in Cincinnati that will not take care of same-sex couples. There are doctors who will shame people for being sexually fluid or for having multiple partners. I've seen it happen. And I've seen people come to me because they're like, you don't care. I'm like, no, as long as you're honest with me, it just helps me take care of you and know what I need to test for. and, And that's it. People ask me all the time, like, well, what kind of research did you do? Like, how did, what did you look up online? What did, you, did you find any product? What did, what did you do? And, right. and when I, I didn't really have the confidence or the vocabulary to look up anything. So it's like, if you dip your toe in a pool of cold water, you don't think like, oh, cool, I'm going to go for a swim. Right. Yeah. You know. Like, oh, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I would look up like painful sex and come up with everything that I didn't want to hear or it was porn, you know, mm-hmm. which is the most discouraging part about that. It's like people have fetishized painful sex to the point where it's okay if it's, if it's eroticized, which is not okay. I mean, and I understand like there is a, there's a line between like pain and pleasure, but like the, the fact that the, when I'm looking for health options right. and I can't get past that, then that's the problem. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I finally got to a point in my life where I, I just, my confidence just dropped through the floor. I was in an unhealthy relationship. My work life was kind of, my life trajectories were on a slow downward slope. And I finally woke up one day at the bottom, realizing that the thing that reminded me that I was so unhappy was when sex was painful. And I felt like I was a disappointment to myself, a disappointment to my partner. And yet I had zero tools to do anything about it. And that was when I finally got so sad and down that it turned into frustration with a medical system that wasn't helping, with a lack of solution options. And I was like, I need to do something. So I did. (laughs) And that was really kind of what kicked off the whole thing. So there are studies that show exactly what you're saying, and it's not uncommon for women or men to feel very bad about themselves when their sex life is not where they want it to be. We actually measure it. It's called the female distress score as part of an FSFI or a female sexual function index. Mm -hmm. And there are studies, we actually talk about this on our FAQs at HerMD, about the opposite as well. If someone is having a great sex life or what mm. they perceive as a, I hate the word normal, we don't use that in our office, but sure. typical or where they want to be, they actually have improved self-confidence and they feel powerful and they feel mm. good. So our sex life is not just about intercourse, but it affects every other aspect of our life. And this is, you know, I hear this every day. Yeah. And it's the kind of thing also where like I was coming from such a patient lens 
mm-hmm. that my understanding of, of my body and at that time was that if, if I can just control how deep penetration goes, then I'll feel better about myself. Like that was the equation. It wasn't even like, what is the root cause? I didn't have a kind of a medical approach to it. It was like, not like, what pill can I be taking? Like, why is my drive low right now? It's just like, okay, let's control penetration depth, positive outcomes. And, and, that, and that is ultimately, it was the, that anatomic adjustment created space for that emotional like liberation, really. And that ultimately, with that liberation and that new sense of confidence, like you were just saying, I felt power to make health decisions. Like ONOT is ultimately not the solution to the root cause at all, Uh, but it is a catalyst to have the confidence to learn more, to speak up. The way I describe ONOT is it, it gives patients a tool because when they're having painful sex, and, you know, and they're going to have an exam. So whether it's a speculum that we're going to try to place in the vagina or, you know, a finger for an exam or during foreplay or a penis, all of those things are out of the patient's control, right? So you're the recipient. And so ONUT gives women the power back. They can control the depth of penetration. It's a mutually agreed upon thing. And a lot of times in our office, pre-COVID, we also had male partners in there, um, you know, or female partners talking to us about it. And a lot of men would lose erections with their partners when they were having painful sex because they didn't want to hurt their partner or they were trying to control the depth of penetration. And it's hard to remember that when you're in the throes of passion. And then if, you know, a partner would cry out in pain or say that they were uncomfortable, of course they they want to stop. So that was very difficult. So you've given patients and their partners a very powerful tool and allowed them to take back some control. And that's why I am such a fan of um, ONUT and tell all my patients about it. We have these sexual health folders and it goes in every single folder of every single patient that we meet. So they find out about it and they know about it. Oh, I mean, well, it, the amazing thing is even just hearing you talk about that, like the, the, the medical procedures that are out of the patient's control, mm-hmm. the fact that you're even aware of that and you can somehow articulate that to your patients gives them a sense of control. Like, is, like when you ask them, like, is this okay? I'm going to do this. Like, you know, I, I don't know actually how you hold that space, but I just love that your sense of awareness of it, I'm sure, comes through in your actual practice. It's, it's really, it's so affirming to me to, to hear how you, how you work. I always tell them that they're the boss and, uh, you know, I don't ever try to do a pap on the first exam. I do try to do, you know, an exam so I can see what's going on and see, you know, is it vaginismus? Is it an imperfect hymen? Is it a vaginal septum? Is it atrophy? Is it lichen sclerosis? Like what, what is causing the pain? And you'd be amazed at how many times women are told their anatomy is normal and there's nothing wrong. And within a minute, I'm like, no, it's not normal. And then we also have another powerful tool in our office as we're examining patients with their permission, we take video and photos and it goes in their chart. So as we start to treat them, they can see. Um, and then we, we play it for them. And there are so many tears of relief when I'm like, okay, you're hurting here. This is, you know, this is what this is called. This is your labia. This is your opening. This is your perineum. This is where you're hurting. I'm like, do you see how this is red or this is white or there's a patch here or there's this extra skin here? 
And they um, are amazed. And they're like, why has no one ever done this before? How many of us actually look down there and, and see what's happening, right? Or try to figure out why we're hurting? Not many of us. So I absolutely like to give patients control because I feel like they've been robbed of so much control in their lives. Yeah. It's like, I mean, we're so very much a stranger to our own body. I forget, I was listening to a podcast recently and a guy was talking about his body parts that he can't see. And he's like, if I saw this body part of mine walking down the street, I wouldn't have no, I wouldn't have any idea that it was mine. Like, <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think if I saw my vulva walking down the street, I wouldn't know that it's mine. Like, and I think it's really powerful. Well, and, and to your point, like, I think there's something so confrontational about showing someone a picture of their like internal anatomy because we shy away from that kind of thing when it in contrast, it's so deeply validating. And, and mm -hmm. I, I mean, I was very much a recipient of, yeah, your body's normal, your body's fine. Like this pain you have, no big deal. It just saddens me that you went through that and that the healthcare system in this country right now, you know, is really broken. And I don't blame the physicians. I just blame mm -hmm. the way we're set up right now um, yeah. in this country with 15 minute appointments. And you know, I was an employee for a very long time and I was forced to see 50 patients a day. I had no choice in my schedule. I had no say. And I literally would, they would tell me you have eight on deck. That means you had eight patients waiting. How could I ever take the time to sit and talk to these patients about anything other than just trying to get a pap smear, trying to give them their birth control or their hormones and get them out the door? It was funny. There was, there was an, this is a kind of a tangent. Just, there was an episode of Big, Big Mouth. It's like a cartoon. And basically they did like a, a bachelorette version of, of birth control. And it was like, they had, and all the different contestants were the different types of birth control. And when one was like the IUD and it was like this French like man. <laughs> and then you had the diaphragm was like this old lady smoking a cigarette. And she's like, honey, you don't want to pick me. I'm just showing up for the money. You know? And then like the last option was this like drunk teenage boy who was like the, who represented the pullout method. Oh, and there were all of these different options that, you know, she's like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to pick. And she ends up going with the pullout method. Um, and it, you know, it's funny. It's like, uh, what are our options? Our options are just so bad. Uh, mm -hmm. and people just, I mean, that's, that's another part of what we are hoping to bring to the table with ONUT is letting people know that, that this is a multidisciplinary effort to approach painful sex and that there are tools out there and here are resources and here are all the different kinds of practitioners who you could see. Um, I think people just don't know what their options are. And so that they, the, the default is nothing. Tell us your, you know, the journey of founding ONOT. Like, how did you come up with the idea and how is it designed? When I started ONOT, I didn't really understand anyone's sexual experience other than my own. There was another woman who had started a product company and, and she had put that to the side, but was also interested in the sexual health space. So we were like, why don't we have a gathering where we talk about like, why sex is painful. And I was like, okay, cool. But we have to make, make sure that the invitation sounds really fun because no one wants to talk about painful sex. Mm -hmm. And we put it out there that like, this is a conversation to talk about painful sex. And we were expecting maybe like four people to show up and 35 people came into my apartment. Uh, it, it was just like my, my rib cage just like exploded open. And, and, and all of us just felt for the first time that we were saying these things out loud. Yeah. Um, and, and everyone's story was completely relatable and yet we all felt completely alone in that. So the original idea with ONUT 
-hmm. was born from that, like, how do I control penetration depth? Onut comes from the word donut because it was the idea of a donut around a penis was the most delightful thing I could think of at a time <laughs> when nothing was delightful. <laughs> um, so I went to my local art store and bought a DIY silicone kit. It's called Room Temperature Vulcanized Silicone. And I look at the, at the number on the back of the box in Pennsylvania and I called it and I talked to Jim on the phone for hours. And I was so excited to learn about silicone and he was excited that I was making donuts. <laughs> so. Did you tell him it was for the purpose no. of, oh, you didn't, okay. You just told no. him you were making silicone donuts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I was like, it has to be stretchy enough to go around something. <laughs> um, but, uh, but he was such a sweetheart. And, and ultimately, uh, I had a couple people test out the first ones and they were really chunky and heavy. They, lo they did look more like a chew toy for a dog. And I was like kind of embarrassed to send it out, but I was like, but this thing works, you should try it. Um, and the feedback calls that I had, even those early ones, were just uh, sad and exciting. And I was talking for the first time one-on-one -on -one with people I didn't know about who had gone through that same like lid coming off, that, mm -hmm. that same sense of liberation that I had experienced as well. And so, and so from there, I mean, so even though the product itself was not refined in any way, shape or form, there was a sense of hope. And that was just the momentum that kicked the whole thing off. Very honestly, it's like everyone I talked to about painful sex was like, Oh my gosh, let's talk more. I, I would drop, I would drop a little seed about Onut in conversations and then potentially like leave and go to somewhere else, come back two hours later and the group was still talking about it. Like that's when you know you're onto something when people just like pick it up and are like having really intense conversations about what's real, you know? Yeah. So it's, it comes with multiple. Yeah. Rings. So, so it started out as one ring and then it got yeah. really tall, but it, that, that design didn't quite work. And then it got really pretty and like swoopy and stuff, but it wasn't, mm -hmm. it got like, it moved around during sex. And the last thing you want when sex is painful is for something to be distracting. So we came up with this linking modular design so that the rings stack one on top of each other and they're worn around the base of a penetrating partner. So it could be a penis, a toy, or a dilator. Mm -hmm. uh, so you lube up first, slide Onut down to the base, and then you can really kind of add rings or take them away at any time during any position. The beauty of it also is that it doesn't sacrifice sensation for either person. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, it gets warm and it, it's so stretchy and comfortable that most people forget that it's even there. Yeah. I'm going to age myself. You know, I have three kids, um, Emily. And so the way I describe it to patients, because of course mm -hmm. they want me to tell them about it and teach them about it. And I, I'm like, so remember those Fisher Price stackable yes! rings? Yes. And I, and then, and then they get it like this and sorry, Fisher Price. Um, but <laughs> for like comparing your um, toy to, you know, a sexual aid, but you know, I'm like, okay, so the stick in the middle, that's the penis, and then you stack it, and then, you know, you have a little bit left at the top. I go, that's what goes in, and that's what penetrates, and they're like, instantaneously, they get it, and so I'm like, did you think about that when you were doing it, or were you, it was, was it truly, like, donuts? Because we in medicine compare everything to food as well, so I get it. <laughs> uh, it, it was, the Fisher-Price example is a good way of putting it. Um, guys generally like to think of it as a, a washer. Yes. Uh, for, for nuts and bolts. Yeah. Yeah. Is that not uh, your tagline, though, that it feels like a giant hug? Yeah, it feels like a hug. Yes, because yeah. um, that's what the other question they asked me. Well, is it going to hurt him? I, and I'm 
like, no, it's not going to hurt him. I go, in fact, I think it's like, you know, getting a hug. And, and that actually, I think, helps them with satisfaction as well, because then yeah. they do feel like they're penetrating all the way, but they're not. So Exactly. Yeah, there is very much that like hip to hip sensation. Like you actually can, we've heard from a bunch of people that they can go a little harder or, or just relax mentally and just right. kind of go for it uh, without going all the way in. And, and it does, because there's less nerve sensitivity at the base of the penis, it does feel like a, a vagina. The, the material itself, it was really important to understand what are the contexts in which people are using it, because lubrication is required. Mm-hmm. So are people using water-based, silicone, like water-based lube or silicone lubrication? And getting in touch with the medical community, silicone is generally referred if there aren't sensitivities to it because it just lasts longer yes um and so we picked a material that could be compatible with both so that it fits into any sexual routine that someone might already have right also onut is introducing lubrication into sexual Mm -hmm. dynamics for the first time where there might be some hesitation previously and that in itself is a whole world to explore so uh, it's the the lubrication with the material was a big part of the design as well you brought up something else that I've also struggled with is, you know, when you do look up sexual health, you know, there's not much difference between porn and sexual tools and AIDS. And even, you know, we have a hard time advertising a lot of times on certain media handles because we'll get blocked because there's no differentiation between a women's sexual health clinic and what we offer and porn. And um, it's really sad that we haven't evolved past that cloak of secrecy, um, it's, it's crazy to me that there's still so much taboo in, in 2020 in this country. It's, it's, it's maddening. Yeah. I mean, along those lines, like, Onut was never a toy. Onut was never a sex toy. Like, when I told my parents about this for the first time, my dad was really upset because he was like, I'd rather you do any other job than make sex toys. And I was like, it's not a toy. At, when I finally landed on the ring, the multi-ring prototype, yeah. that was when I started going to medical conferences. As a patient, I just literally bought a ticket to a medical conference, not knowing a single person in San Diego, and was to, and I, I, you know, I was like walking around. Everyone's all dressed up in corporate attire, and I'm just like, you know, I'm you know, whatever, just trying to fit in. And people are like, oh, you know, where do you work? What what kind of gynecology are you in? And I'm just like, I'm a patient. And all of a sudden, everyone gets their doctor cap on. And they're like, oh, why are you here? What's happening? What you know? How's it going? And I was like, oh, I just came up with this idea. And um, before I knew it, there'd be like 15 people standing around me. I want to make sure we talk about a couple things. Have you faced challenges as being a female CEO? And how have you overcome some of them? I know that's a big question. To be honest, mm-hmm. I think I've taken a different path than a lot of like, tr- like female CEOs this way. Mm-hmm. You know, in the same way that the pendulum of sex toys went from like this very male biological, physical mm-hmm. sensation template, like... And now female sex toys are very female, physical, orgasm-centric. The same way that, like, male CEO founders go from, like, this fast, heavy growth, raising lots of money, and, like, you know, exiting in five years, then now women are wanting to do the same thing. One, in fact, I actually have found that there's there's a different pace that can be taken, and Mm -hmm. growing organically can happen just as quickly without all of the bells and whistles of going through the traditional accelerators. So I think I've actually bypassed a lot of the uh, tribulations that, that mm-hmm. women have faced typically. 
there is such a clear demand for mm-hmm. women's sexual health, yes. for women's health in general. The market is enormous. The amount of people who are underserved is enormous. Mm-hmm. The fact that this is a burgeoning like market mm-hmm. is undeniable. So as a female CEO who is able to communicate with the target audience in a completely new way, people are much more open to this new mm-hmm. approach to business than before. And because it's working, we have the numbers to prove it. We're growing, right. we, we're growing 50% quarter over quarter. It's, it's, it's it, that growth is exponential right now. And so I don't think that people are approaching us the same way mm-hmm. just because, you know, or approaching us any differently because I'm a woman. I mean, that's great to hear. And yeah, yes, we talk a lot about, you know, women are ready and they want to talk about it now and mm-hmm. we want to have the conversation with them. And so to see that kind of growth and see, you know, women like having that demand is pretty amazing. I mean, you and you and Somi are both pioneers in sexual health. You saw this problem. Both of you saw problems, right? Somi, you saw problems in the sexual health care system broken basically for women, you know, from education, right? Not teaching doctors about sexual health all the way to like, you know, not being able to find someone to take care of them because so few providers are trained. And Emily, you, you had a problem that you were like, okay, I can't find a solution. I'm going to solve this and I'm going to find something to help other women. So how have you seen the conversation shift on women's sexual health? You know, I faced a lot of challenges as far as pe- people telling me you'll never be able to do this with an insurance system and you'll never be able to do it on your own. And it's not going to work in Cincinnati, Ohio. And we're 8,000 patients strong now, right? And, and pulling patients from all over the country. And hopefully soon, you know, patients will be coming from other places as well. So I think for me, um, the difference is women are coming forward. If you look at like uh, sexual health, it pops up now in some of the top Google searches and women are seeking, you know, either medications or providers or wanting to talk about it. And, you know, when I've done things on social media, we have so many people who show up, you know, you've been there at our educational events when we are like, let's just talk about sex and we're not trying to sell anything. We're just, we're wanting to talk about the most common sexual problems that women have. They're, they're showing up and there's more articles about it. There are more femtech products that are popping up. So there's the app, you know, Rosie that's out there now that puts a lot of the sexual health solutions in in patients and providers' hands. So I think we're definitely seeing a stronger movement into providing tools and options and medications and providers for patients. And patients are starting to come forward and asking for help. Um, My patients are resilient where they have been dismissed or quiet before, you know, I told you in the beginning, like I'm sometimes someone's sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth gynecologist and kudos to them for not stopping. Just like Emily, kudos to you for not accepting sex is going to hurt for the rest of your life. For me, I I definitely see that this is uh, patient driven and, Mm -hmm. you know, things are changing. Uh, I, I, you just gave me chills. Like I, I think that I could not agree more about the resilience of so many women and couples. I actually do want to give a lot of credit to partnership in this as well, because oftentimes partners want to help, but there hasn't been any, there haven't been any resources for them to do that. And I think that, that there's been a lot, there's a lot of support within the relationships as well. But to your point, initially women being resilient is one of the coolest things to witness. And when, when they have the tools to really just take initiative mm-hmm. and, to, and to 
feel their own power and to watch that come to life and to, and to like, I'm sure you get notes all the time and you have conversations in your office all the time. Like, oh, it's, it's like visceral, you know, I, I don't, I don't, uh, I'm at a loss for words with how powerful it really is because people are completely changed with this new sense of education and that just spreads. Agreed. It's, it's not something that people want. It's something that people are demanding right now. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. Demanding. And I like that you said like education, like yeah. it's mm-hmm. out there, the information and they want it and they're hungry for it. This has been so awesome. I have to say it's been such a great conversation. I want people to know who are listening, how can they find out more about ONAT? How can they keep up to date with everything that yeah. you guys are doing? Oh, okay. Well, there's like a laundry <laughs> list of things. Uh, you can look up, you could just Google ONUT, O-H-N-U-T. Honestly, I could say the domain, but just Google it. You'll find yeah. it up there. Uh, we also have the Pain Perception Project, which is an online intake form that's inclusive of sexual health and quality of life questions. Mm-hmm. And then it prints out into a PDF that you can bring to your doctor. And then our third initiative uh, we're just launching now is called Pelvic Gym. Mm-hmm. It's basically a, a way to increase access to that, that generalized component of pelvic PT. So all of the at-home exercises that PTs give you to, to, to help you maintain, like to, to do in between your PT uh, visits. Mm-hmm. Or say, for example, we can't get to a PT right now. Uh, we basically had all of the best PTs make programs for people to do online. So that's available as well. So it's called Pelvic Gym. So they can, and then we're on Instagram with all these things. <laughs> Very cool. Um, like, yeah. Exciting um, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do have one question. There is a piece of the box that I always like reading. Um, yes. Would you mind if I just read it? Because I think that yeah. part of what you do so well, so I mean, it's just, is really understand the people who are coming into your office and recognize mm-hmm. that they're not just a diagnosis. They're not just body parts. They're people. Right. And as a, as a product company, how can we do the same thing when mm-hmm. you're just at a distance, giving someone a tangible thing. So mm-hmm. whenever someone opens up the ONUT box, there's a letter in it from me. And it says, you made it. A big congratulations, not only on your new ONUT, but also on all the hard work that led you here. The journey is never easy. I tell you with my full heart, you are sexy exactly the way you are. You're a problem solver, a shoulder to lean on, a spreader of joy. You put a lot of love out there, and you deserve to live that love you share. So in the spirit of curiosity, embrace adjustment, awkward moments, and small, mighty victories. And know deep down, but not too deep, <laughs> that you're doing great. <laughs> now go play. All of my love, Emily. You're not allowed to make people cry, Emily. You're <laughs> crying. I'm tearing up. My sister's crying. Come on. <laughs> I mean, and that's why tears are good. That's where we started, right? Right. Right. Yeah. No, we have Kleenex boxes in every room and it is not to wipe your vagina. It is to wipe <laughs> tears. Um, literally, I have it sitting next to them. Like Sometimes I take them, sometimes they take them. Yes, I love that. It's stuff that we all need to hear. And yeah. that's the foundation of where sex should be coming from. Right. And your passion is exploding, like yeah. through the screen. I wish our, you know, listeners could um, see you as well, because she's this little dynamo. She said she's four <laughs> eleven, and she's just like packed with love and passion 
and energy and I love it. And I just can't wait to see where you go and where you take yeah. this. Um, Likewise. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Let's, I mean, we, I feel like our paths are just going to keep crossing mm -hmm. and I, oh, no. I look forward to yeah. what you come up with as well. I'm curious. So what are you, are you working on anything? Like, where are you, what are you most excited about moving forward in your world right now? Um, so, you know, as I was getting all these patients from all over the country, uh, I had an aha moment and said, okay, this model of medicine, we finally figured out how to survive within an insurance system. I want to free other physicians. And because truly most physicians are there because they want to take care of patients and they don't, I hated those 15 minute appointments just as much sure. as my patients did. Yeah. And it's bad medicine. You know, and um, so our goal is to open her MD centers all over the country. And basically, we have created a business in a box for them so that they can, with all of my proven algorithms of care that are based in evidence-based medicine and not these crazy pop-up hormone shops that are, you know, out there. Uh, yeah, trying to take advantage of women who have been turned away from the gyne but then are, are desperate and just seeking. And I don't blame them, you know, and they're coming to me with these bags of supplements and I'm like, oh God, um, you know, or things that they, that haven't worked. And so our goal is to empower both physicians and patients and educate everybody and advocate for everybody and basically open her MD centers all over the country. We just opened up this model to physicians, like we're in our sixth year, but uh, to other physicians just in the last couple months, mm. and obviously COVID happened. So we've got a couple places that are planning on opening, um, you know, in Kentucky, and then um, we're hoping to open in Indiana, a couple places out on the West Coast and East Coast. So doctors are, my first conference that I went to was Ishwish. We had a, a NAMS, we had a line like to the conference doors. That's how many physicians were like, we don't want to work in our current situation. And you've made this work within an insurance model please share, you know, and um, we've got a ton of applicants. So we're hoping to open five in the next year. Yeah. And then can you imagine you, you know, you would have these centers everywhere and be like, oh, well, there's a HerMD in, in New York now. And then there's the HerMD in California and there's a HerMD in Indianapolis. And, and so that's the goal. And then for each center to have counselors and pelvic floor physical therapists and to know about O-nuts and lubricants and for there to be no shame. It's mm -hmm. a comfortable, beautiful space that women can come in. And the expectation is that you can talk about your sex life if you want. And it's not a big deal. Big dreams, you know. Big, yeah, no, I, God, I was going to say, I feel like we're at the end of an 80s film when we're just like about to jump into the high five and we get into oh. that like freeze frame. That's what I feel like right now. I just want to be in that freeze frame when it's just like, yeah, I'm just, I'm so excited for you. And I feel like you've really landed on a business model and that your market and, and the need and, and you, you just, you have the right head on your shoulders to make this happen. And I so believe in what you're doing. Oh, thank you, Emily. You are a force to be reckoned with. And I love that. <laughs> I'm so glad that you did this with us. Thank you so yes, much for sharing you. your morning with us. Thank you. This episode of Her Voice has been a production of HerMD, a female forward wellness center in Cincinnati, Ohio. You can follow HerMD on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at HerMD Health and sign up for our newsletter at HerMDHealth.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, we hope you'll share it with your friends. They can listen to us on Buzzsprout, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. If you're a healthcare provider who is interested in opening a HerMD location, or if you already have your own practice and you'd like to be powered by HerMD, reach out to us at info at hermdhealth.com.